Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. This is my wife, Reagan. We are the co-pastors of this service worship community thing that we call Thrive here at Lover's Lane. Greetings to those of you online, um, especially those of you who are hopefully in some AC right now. Um, I'm so sick of the heat. And this is on every single one of you who is praying in the winter that God would send heat and like patio weather. I just want some patio weather. It's well, like 60 now it's 137 degrees, yeah. so thank you for that. Um, that's on you, yeah, all right? Because you Texans are like, it's 60, it's really cold. Well, I'm like, come on. That is cold. We got thin blood. Leave us alone. It's annoying. So. Uh, we are grateful that you're with us this morning, and, uh, and we're especially grateful for those of you who are with us for the first time this morning. We are continuing in a sermon series called Unmentionables, where we're hope hoping to tackle some of those topics that um, we don't talk about a lot uh, outside the church, but really inside the church, especially the topics that we ought to address, that we ought to have something to say about as people of faith. Um, and so we're gonna, we've been addressing those one by one. Uh, two weeks ago, we started with Pastor Kay and a sermon on regret. Last week, I talked about guilt. And then this week, we're going to talk about grief. Yeah. Is that all you got? That's so, so go. Great. Yeah. Um, so obviously, we know this can be kind of a heavy topic for everyone. And I hate to start it even more down, but I do want to acknowledge that this week, there, there was some local grief and then some um, grief that was experienced in our, I mean, there's grief all the time. I mean, we can't really escape it. But yeah. I wanted to acknowledge uh, in Branson, I'm sure you guys saw the, the duck boat that capsized. And so people that were on vacation um, with their kids and grandparents, um, you know, last I heard there was 18 um, that passed away. That's, that's awful. Um, and then obviously uh, there was a cop yesterday that was escorting a funeral and got hit by a drunk driver. And then I'm sure most of you are aware of uh, Libby Davis, the teacher that um, uh, was dealing with postpartum depression and uh, was found, uh, passed away. And, and we do want to just insert right now is if you are dealing with any sort of depression or um, just any sort of mental illness or anything, or you're just having a hard time that to seek, to seek help. And, and as a community, when we sense that someone is maybe not doing well, to be bold, uh, be bold enough to say something um, and love on them and encourage them. And um, Scott and I always have kind of a running resource of where to, to help people turn to, um, to certain counselors or psychiatrists or whatever you're needing. And then obviously here at church, we've got a grief group that meets uh, the first and third Wednesday at noon. And then this fall, we're going to look at, we're going to have a night one. So our newest associate, Don Anderson, is in charge of that. And so we're always trying to create uh, spaces and just remind us um, to seek help when you need it. Absolutely. So um, we're going to enter into a scripture this morning uh, that deals with grief on a personal level. This is a story that maybe you're not as familiar with. It comes to us at the tail end of the book of Genesis in chapter 49. And this is the death of Jacob uh, and, and his son Joseph experiencing this grief and his children, Joseph's brothers experiencing this grief. Uh, and so we're going to walk through this story, uh, stop along the way and see what it reveals to us about what it means to grieve. Because I think the God's honest truth is that in our American culture specifically, um, we have, in a way, uh, forgotten how to grieve well. 
Um, I think that because we're a culture that, that values positivity and looking like everything is great and awesome and good all the time and wow, and you talk to people, hey, how's it going? You don't ever say like, man, it's actually going pretty terrible right now. Well, you have to say, oh, I'm great, right? Or you're at church, you go, I'm blessed. And the reality is a lot of us don't always feel that way, but we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to deal with it. Um, you know, even at our work, you might have a bereavement period of like a day or two and then, you know, time to get back to work. You know, we just don't know how to grieve well in our culture. And so um, we think that this story of Jacob's passing has a lot of things that, that we can walk away, applicable things that we can understand about grief and how to hopefully grieve better and to let it be this thing that, that we don't run from, but uh, deal with and embrace as a real part of life and the hope that is in grief as well. So let's pray before we dig into our scripture. Um, it should be the reason we pray before we read scripture. If this is your first time, is because it's not just words on a page. You know, we're not just going to have story time up here. We believe this is the living words of God, and that when we pray over these scriptures, we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of this moment. It allows the, these words to come alive and become more meaningful for us in this moment of worship together. So let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks. For the seasons, even though we are in a hot one, a scorching one right now, there are difficult seasons of life, God. Um, there are seasons of life that are hot and cold and everything in between, seasons when we have joy and seasons when we mourn. God, we, we give thanks that you are a God who walks with us in all of these seasons. God, we give you thanks for your text, your words this morning. We give you thanks for the story of Jacob and Joseph and Joseph's brothers, a story of grief, because this story can help us to grieve better in our own lives. We ask that you make these words more than text on a page, that they would come off of these pages and off of the screens and come into our hearts and change the way we live. In your sons and we pray, amen. Okay, am I reading the first scripture? You are. Awesome. Um, so this is in verse 29 of chapter 49 in the book of Genesis. Then he charged them, saying to them, I am about to be gathered. This is Jacob talking. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my ancestors in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, in the land of Canaan, uh, in the field that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as a burial site. Then Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were purchased from the Hittites. When Jacob ended his charge to his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Okay. So uh, I read this scripture, and obviously a, a sad scene, but. Sometimes when I read the Bible, there's things where I'm like, that's, that's not what I need. There's some shortcoming to it. And when I read that, I think about, man, that's nice. Jacob got to announce his death. He got to give a warning to his sons and everyone that I'm going to die. This is exactly how I want everything to play out. And so for me, I look at that and I think, well, how often does that actually happen in real life? Where we get to have... A conversation with someone and they're they're preparing and we're fully prepared and then we're like okay so you had all your wishes taken care of I know exactly what you want and so I look at that and I think man we we don't even have time to process a lot of the time the grief that we encounter there's there's no set course there's no set okay boom 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 and this is how you're going to deal with everything that's not how it can be 
And I think sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking, well, I, I did have time to process, so really it, sh it shouldn't be a shock or maybe you've, you've thought that about other people. Well, well they were really older and they, they were dying, of course, you know, but that's not how we feel. It doesn't matter how long you have time to process. It doesn't matter how long you, how old the person is or whatever, grief is felt very, very deeply. And I think we have to have permission to grieve. I think often we think, well, we saw it coming or we knew or it was just, it was time. And you need to give yourself permission to grieve no matter what. And I think we need to um, also tell people that too because some people think, well, I, I should, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't grieve because of this and this and this. And so maybe we need to just give one another permission to grieve. So that's the first thing. Um, and I also, if one book that I've been reading, uh, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, if you've never read it, short, short read. It's um, some journal entries about him losing his wife. And I love the way that he talks about grief and how sometimes he goes from feeling guilty and feeling relief and feeling so sorrowful and, and different things like that. And so it's a really good book. I'd recommend it to you because I think it's very, very raw, very, very real about what the grieving process can look like. And so the first point we want to talk about is that no matter when or how we lose a loved one, we will wish we had more time, no matter what, no matter what. And so that's our first thing we want to leave you with. Yeah, because so Jacob is able to announce his death, like Reagan said. And um, I think there's a lot of times that we have someone in our life that we know is going to die, or, or maybe it's honestly a, a relief for them that they're passing away. Um, you know, Jacob was very old in life. I can't imagine that his body was holding up that well. And, um, you know, in my own life, you know, I've, I've had a grandparent, uh, you know, struggle with Alzheimer's and pass away, you know, in, in still fairly early stages. And, I, and, and a part of me knew that, that he was thankful, that Poppy was thankful that, that he wasn't going to have to live with, you know, Alzheimer's for 20, 25 years. Um, uh, and, and, and that he was worried about that. He was a marathon runner, you know. He very well could have lived a very long time. Um, and so when he passed, you know, immediately I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, maybe this is a gift. Maybe this is, you know, that's what I told him. You know, maybe, maybe this is what, what he needed, what he wanted. And, and I convinced myself, well, you know, I don't, I don't need to grieve this. This is maybe a good thing for him. And, uh, and that, that held up until after the, uh, the service that we had where um, I gave a eulogy in a sports bar for my grandfather. That's another sermon for another time. Um, <laughs> he was an interesting guy. And... Uh, um, and I sat down on the couch at my house, uh, and Reagan was there with me, and I just lost it. And I realized that that grief was real, um, even though it, it, it was something that he probably found as a relief. I was still allowed to grieve the loss of my grandfather because I still wanted more time with him. I still do, you know. Um, so I think sometimes we, we, we try to say, well, I had all these years, or it was time for them, so I shouldn't feel that. No, grief is real regardless of when or how uh, mm -hmm. we lose someone that we love. When you lose someone you love, it matters, period. Um, so we got to give ourselves permission to grieve. Let's keep reading. Okay. This is Genesis 50, verse 1. So just picking up where we left off. Then Joseph threw himself on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. So Joseph gives himself permission to grieve here. He says he, he threw himself on his father. He wept and he kissed him. Um, you know, Joseph is one of the strongest leaders in the Bible. You know, he is betrayed by his brothers. This is Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, right? Donnie uh, Osmond. Donnie Osmond. Those right? you don't know. 
Which yeah. they're, they're spitting images of each other, yeah. Um, so Joseph's an incredibly strong person. He is, he is beaten and left for dead uh, by his brothers, and they sell him into slavery. He goes and he climbs the ranks of Egyptian leadership by the grace of God. It's an amazing story, but he's an incredibly resilient and strong person, and he knows his father's going to die. His father's announcing it. His father is old. I mean, in the Bible, they live forever, right? So his dad's like super old. Yeah. Like, Joseph, you know this is coming, and still it comes, and what does he experience? Raw human emotion like anybody else. Joseph is maybe the strongest person uh, in the world at that point, and he, like anybody else, weeps and, and, and wishes he had more time. He experiences these deep, mournful emotions. And I think, you know, a lot of times, again, we're going to talk sort of about how our culture processes grief. I think that we have a hard time with strong emotions, I think we think that it's strength uh, to be stoic in a, in a weird way. We're kind of like the early church uh, in the culture that they were in, and in the early Greek culture where the where the early church took place. You know, stoicism, this idea that strength came from being emotionless and from from divorcing yourself from feelings. That's where real strength lied. You know, that was the prevailing thought at the time. I think we kind of live in a similar time where we see, you know, what, you know, deep feeling emotions make us uncomfortable, both in other people and in ourselves. And so we just try to shove it down and shove it down. And we think strength is holding it together. And I don't know that that's true. In fact, I don't even know if that's what God desires for us. Because when I read not just these few verses in Genesis 49 and 50, but when I read the full breadth and depth of Scripture, I see a God who feels a lot. Mm-hmm. A God who feels a lot. And, and in, in, in the early chapters of Genesis, we hear that God imparts what we call the imago Dei, the image of God upon humankind, and that God impresses us with something about God that makes us special and different from all the rest of creation. And I think a part of that image of God, a part of that imago Dei is the depth of emotion that we experience. And so we don't just feel mad. Sometimes we burn with wrath, like we talked about last week. We, we burn with anger like God burns. Or, or we don't just love, but we, we feel an overwhelming sense of love that causes us to tremble. Um, we don't just want to extend grace and mercy upon people. We want to we heap it upon them. We don't just mourn. We, we throw ourselves on the bodies of our loved ones and just weep. I don't think that's a sign of weakness. I think that's a sign of strength. And in fact, I think it's what makes us the children of God when we allow ourselves to feel deeply just like God feels. God is not some emotionless old white guy with the beard in the clouds, right? That's not who God is. God is a deep feeler. And so I, I want us to know clearly that emotions don't make us weak. They make us the children of God. I love this quote from Henry Nouwen, who is an amazing author. Henry Nouwen, I'll spell it H-E-N-R-I-N-O-U-W-E-N. If you can't write that down right now. We'll have another quote of his on the screens a little bit later. He writes these wonderful short little books, and they're all about the human experience and, and really about that personal relationship with God. That, that's really his sweet spot. Um, and he's able to say things kind of like C.S. Lewis that are profound but simple and easy to understand. And I think that's the mark of a really intelligent person, right? When you can say something incredibly profound, but everybody gets it, right? Uh, and he says this. He says, I am less likely to deny my suffering when I learn how God uses it to mold me and draw me closer to him. 
Now, I want to be clear. He says how God uses it, not how God gave it, right? Now, that's another sermon for another day, but God doesn't give us tragedy and trauma to teach us something, but God can use it um, to mold me and draw me closer to him. He says, I will be less likely to see my pains as interruptions to my plans and more able to see them as the means for God to make me ready to receive him. I let Christ live near my hurts and distractions. I let Christ live near my hurts and distractions. I think at sometimes when we try to be our stoic selves, we try to also keep our faith distance from our emotions. We try to have an emotionless faith, and that is a dead faith. And a, a faith that's alive allows your faith to handle grief and mourning. It allows it to handle love and joy. It allows it to handle anger and bitterness. That's, that's a faith that's alive, that allows your, your depth of emotion and your faith to be one together, to let Christ live near your hurts and distractions. Okay, let's keep moving. Genesis, I, I oh, go say, ahead. oh, I'm sorry, go it's ahead. It's okay. Go ahead. Uh, sometimes you may hear people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't believe in, in feeling this way because... I'm a Christian, or I don't believe in this, you know. Um, well, I can't be sad because I know where they are. You can still be sad. You can still grieve, or yeah. you can still be. And so I want to say that, too, because I think sometimes that's spoken. Like, well, you, we have this hope, so why do you feel all these emotions? Right. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's a good point. Picking up in verse 2 and 3, it says, Joseph commanded the physicians in his service to embalm his father, So the physicians embalmed Israel. They spent 40 days in doing this, for that is the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Okay. So I look at that, and it's very, very defined. You know, there's days. And it's still not very long to me, right? Like 70 days, that's that's not very long. Uh, But then as Scott kind of mentioned in the beginning... That's still longer than most of us get. Most of us, you know, have to go back to work on Monday. You may get a handful of days. And so I look at that as um, sometimes, again, in the Bible, there's, there's moments where when people die, Moses or Aaron or, or different people, there's just so many short, like they grieve for 20 days and then they went on. And you think, gosh, okay, is that all that I'm allowed? And maybe that sometimes you feel... Well, the Bible kind of gives very defined perimeters on when I should grieve and, 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 and how and all that. And even I think about Lazarus is the story that's talked about a lot from um, the Gospels when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And everyone says, well, you know, Jesus felt, which he did. And he says, Jesus wept. But that's it. That's the whole verse. Jesus wept. And then I'm like, okay, then what? Like for me, I wish like four chapters later, it would just say, and Jesus still missed someone, you know. Um, obviously, Lazarus rose from the dead. Spoiler so that, alert. So there's, there's that, where people use that. I not read that part yet. Sorry. It's a good part. You um, should read it. But no, people look at that story. I'm like, well, yeah, but then Lazarus is alive again. So how does that help, him, help me? Because my person yeah. is still gone. Right. And so, again, sometimes a Bible, you need to read more into it. And, and Scott's going to talk a little bit more about all of that. But I look at that, and I think, gosh, it, do I have a time limit on when I'm allowed to grieve? Because that doesn't make me feel very good. And I was, I was looking at different cultures and, and what they do. And um, so Hindus have a 13-day mourning period. Still not very short, but longer than most of us in Western culture get. 
but they burn an oil lamp next to the deceased for three days. The family bathes two times a day. They wear white. They eat one vegetarian meal a day. That's why we're not Hindus right there. Um, on the thir- and then on the 13th day, there's a fire sacrifice and offerings to God and the deceased. Um, and it's also frowned upon if people lament really heavily for a long time because they believe it will be harmful to the soul of the deceased. Um, in Islam, family and friends mourn for three days. Widows mourn for exactly four lunar months and ten days. No one is to wear decorative jewelry or clothing for those um, – or f- clothing, not decorative clothing, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> they're allowed to wear clothing. Um, and then to sh- – to show signs of grieving, like they're expected to cry, but they're not supposed to wail or weep or tear their clothes. And then um, in Jewish tradition, there's intense mourning seven days after the funeral. They they cover up all mirrors in their house, so they, they don't focus on themselves. They focus on the person. They sit in uncomfortable chairs. Men don't shave. They wear mangled black ribbon and slippers, and friends are to come by, bring them food, and offer condolences, and then a memorial candle is lit the entire seven days, and then every year on the anniversary of the death. And so I look at that, and I think, still that's very short, but I love that they have a set way of how to process things. I'm kind of envious that they actually have, okay, this is what we're going to do, and this is what um, how we comfort one another how we're together. And I know we don't have traditions, but, um, but I know my grievance does not stop after 13 or 3 or 7 or 70 days or whatever it is. Um, I know many of you have been coming here for a while. Um, this fall will be uh, a guy that was like my second dad. It'll be two years since he passed away. And a month ago, I cried myself to sleep thinking about him. And it's been t- almost two years. And so I want to make sure you guys know that grief has no time limit. It has no time limit. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times we, we jump to the New Testament and, and what, it ha- what it has to say about grief is very different in a lot of ways from the Old Testament because uh, the New Testament deals a lot with the gift of resurrection. Uh, that's a common theme. And, 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 and this resurrection, this new life that we're ushered into through baptism, this eternal life that we get to share with God both here and, and beyond, um, you know, that it's a common theme because it's exactly what that culture needed to hear. You know, that they weren't writing to us today. They were writing to a people in a time and place unlike today. Uh, a, a people in a time and place that understood death. Um, if you go to where the Mount of Olives is, where Jesus did a lot of his teaching, a whole side of that large hill, they call it a mount, but it's a very large hill essentially, is just graves. It's graves and graves and graves because the Jewish people believed that, that if their family were kept safe, if their, if their remains were kept safe, then at the time of resurrection they would come back to life. But the Jewish people, as we just heard, they, they understood how to handle death. They understood how to deal with grief. They understood how to do this in a ritualistic way. And so resurrection was something that they needed to hear. The early Christians, in a similar way, they, they were surrounded by martyrdom. You know, if you were an early Christian, your life was at stake. And so uh, they knew how to grieve because their friends were being attacked and even killed constantly. I think it's we're in a different culture today. You know, we can't just jump to resurrection if we haven't dealt with our grief first. Uh, we can't claim the joy that new life offers us if we haven't dealt with our grief first. We have to acknowledge that pain. Otherwise, what we're grabbing is some really shallow, uh, you know, cursory look at joy that, that isn't real. 
and it's not going to be lasting. And then six months or a year or two years are going to go by, and all of a sudden you're going to go, wow, I did not deal with this. Um, and, and so I think that that's why it's important for us to get back and, and look at, at how, where did this understanding of grief come from for these people? Um, because we have to be willing to acknowledge our pain and to wrestle through it if we hope to have true joy in the, in the hope and promise that, that, that life eternal and resurrection offers us. Yeah, so grief never, grief never stops. I think it just changes. I think Henry Nouwen. Yeah, Henry Nouwen talks about yeah. that in one of his books, that it, it, your grief never stops. It just changes. In fact, he says sometimes grief actually grows over time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to keep reading. This is still Genesis 50. Verses 6 through 14. This is the really hard stuff, so meaning there's words in it you don't know how to pronounce. She, yeah, she means that she had to look up pronunciations of words for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. It's not fair. You should be reading this. Okay. <laughs> Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. Joseph, so Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of the Pharaoh, the elders of the household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. Both chariots and charioteers went up with him. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing f- floor of Atad, which, beyond the, which is beyond the Jordan, they held there a very great and sorrowful lamentation, and he observed a time of mourning for his father seven days. When the Canaanite inhabitants of the land saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning on the part of the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus, his sons did for him as he had instructed them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at, you said it really Jewish-like early. Are we talking Goshen? Nope, no, that one. Oh, Machpelah. Wow, that's yeah. good. You got to get that. The field near Merim, which Abraham bought as a burial site from Ephraim the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So, uh, that, last line, that, that last line was sort of where I want to leap off of here. It says, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Um, it, hearing that, that sort of explanation of how the burial itself took place, um, it reminds me that grief is supposed to be communal. It, but we, over time, in our culture, have made it an individual uh, act and process. Grief is supposed to be a communal act, a communal process. It wasn't just Joseph who went up and buried his father. Joseph went with all of his brothers and all of these other people who it can't even name. And trust me, the Bible loves to name people. Uh, it, it, he goes up with his whole throng of people to bury his dad. And so what it's, what it's making abundantly clear to me is that Joseph is never alone in any of this. It, and it reminds me a little bit of when I was a part of my home church in Bedford, um, we had a, a congregation there of, of Tongan uh, persons who were from the island of Tonga in the South Pacific, uh, kind of near Samoa and, and Fiji. And um, the Tongan people understand community. They understand it really, really well, a whole lot better than we do here in the States, and um, in Western culture especially. And, and, and what the Tongan people understand is, is what it means to rely on each other. 
Um, you know, when they go to worship, they wear these really vibrant colors. You know, they, they've got, even the men wear these skirts that have these fascinating prints on them that are usually floral or decorative in some way that's usually bright red and bright green and bright. They don't understand what a, what a neutral tone is, right? You know, it's, it's just vivid, vivid, vivid. Because when they are going to worship, they are going to worship and to praise God. And, and when someone in, in the family dies, though, and, and Tongans have very wide-reaching families and everybody is like a 12th cousin, 14 times removed it's like to East somebody. Texas. Yeah, it's like Stan. If you've ever breathed East Texas air, you're related to Stan somehow. He'll figure it out. Yep. And um, but when someone in your family dies, everyone wears black. And and depending on how close of a relation you were to the person who died, you wear black for longer. And it's a really startling thing to see as someone who's not a part of that culture. Because one day they showed up and they were all in black, and I was thinking, what happened? And what happened is that somebody's 12th cousin, 14 times removed, had passed away. And maybe they had died of old age, but then that whole family, every single person, joins with the closest members. And they say, we're in this together. Visually, they're showing this. We are in this with you. And, and we will be here for you. Um, because grief really isn't supposed to be something that we're supposed to walk through alone. And yet, we, we live in a culture that is increasingly isolated. And we live in a culture that is uncomfortable with deep emotions. And so when, when there's someone that you care about or you love that's a close friend to you, when they lose someone that is meaningful to them, it can be hard to know what to do. You don't know what to say. and You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to you know, put your foot in your mouth. And, and, and you don't want to come across like a, like a you know, ding-dong. And so you, you, you kind of accidentally keep them at an arm's distance. Or, or you do the nice thing, well, let me know what you need. You know, and if we always say that to each other. And, and when's the last time you let someone know what you need, right? Never. We don't. We yeah. don't ever do that. Um, and so I think there's, a way for, there's ways for us to be more intentional in how we reach out to people who are near us. You don't have to solve all their theological problems. That's not even what we do. So often what we do is we just listen. You know, Stan talked about this morning in his 815 sermon about you know, this Jewish practice of, of going and just sitting in silence with someone and letting them just speak to you, letting them just air all of their pains, all of their hurts, all of their questions, and not feeling the need to respond, just to allow them to let it out. Um, maybe it's going and taking them food, even if they didn't ask for it. You know, I will never turn down free food. That's never going to offend me, right? You know, it, it, there are tangible ways. You know, you can go and mow their yard. You can, clearly, this is the part that Reagan wrote because she's a very intentional person. That's why I'm having to read this right now because she's more intentional than me. You can you also can, do that at our house, too. Yeah, that's true. Mow their yard, very nice. Point well taken. <laughs> Clean the house. Walk the dog. Um, sometimes, she says, it's just sitting in silence and watching a movie together. But it, the point being that we've turned grief into this hyper-individual thing. We expect everyone to be an island and to process it independently. And that's never the way it was designed to be. I think the healthiest cultures are cultures where grief is a communal act that we, we band together and we say we're going to get through this together. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I agree that sometimes it, um, we want to just put on that good face. And I think for us, again, as a community... Sometimes it does mean going over to their house and just laying on the couch with them. And sometimes it's like, why don't you get a, get a shower? Let's go get lunch. Um, and kind of sensing what they need. And sometimes people need to be pushed a little bit. Another thing I found that what you're most worried about when you lose someone is that they're going to be forgotten, right? Um, that no one else is going to remember them. And so for some people, I think I've been in this situation where I've been afraid to say the person's name that's gone uh, because it, 
again, I'm sometimes can be scared of the emotion that's behind it, but people like often love when you can say their name because it's comforting to them to say, oh, you remember them too. Uh, I remember one of my really good college friends um, lost her fourth baby after a really traumatic birth and just after a few days and, and it was right before Christmas. So then I remember sending her a card uh, for Mother's Day saying, hey, I just want you to know that I remember Grady. And then I sent her another one that next Christmas. And I remember her saying, like, thank you so much that you still remember who he is. Um, again, and it's, it's, it's terrifying to say that because you think, oh, gosh, am I going to open up the floodgates? But sometimes people need that because, again, grief has no time limit. And maybe it's been a while since they've cried about it or processed through it. Um, and so uh, giving them that space that they need. Um, also encourage you <clears throat> when you know people that, that lose someone, sending them cards when it's the first Thanksgiving without them, the first Christmas, the first Mother's Day, the first Father, or their birthday or anniversary. Um, just because, again, people want to know that their person is not being forgotten. So that's a, another thing. Um, I know we've talked a lot about losing someone to death, but as we know, grief is in so many forms. Grief is experienced after um, a job loss. Grief is experienced after a move. Um, it's divorce. It's, uh, I can tell you, struggling with infertility every month is a reminder of grieving what is not, what is not there. Um, and so I think you need to also realize that maybe what you're experiencing through different things is grief and to name it and not just like, well, I, I'm just sad or that was hard, but know that you're actually, you're grieving and, and that's okay. Reagan has had, because Reagan really cares about people um, and, and yeah, me, you know. Um, <laughs> no, Ra so Reagan, Reagan, her whole life is about relationships and I know uh, when we first got married and for the next few years after, you know, Reagan had some really, really close friends in college that she was really, really close to and, uh, and you know, moving to Dallas, they all lived up in the Kansas, Missouri area, and uh, and they would get together frequently, and they all, you know, would remain in contact a lot more than Reagan was able to. Because I'm and in our, Texas. Yeah, because she's stuck in Texas, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and we we had to talk about, you know, what does it look like to grieve the fact that those relationships will probably never be the same. You know, mm -hmm. that that chapter has turned and that sometimes life just changes and that can be really hard. But if you're holding on to something that's not really even there, then it, it makes it impossible to reach mm -hmm. out to that next thing. Um, and so learning how to say, well, I need to grieve this chapter that's closing, whatever that chapter it is, whether, it, like Reagan said, whether it's a friendship or a relationship or a, a job or, or just whatever that phase of life, yeah. you know, we, we can grieve chapters in life as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's all I have. That's all you got? That's all I got. So I, I want to close today with another quote from Henry Nouwen, because um, he says it better than I can. Um, he, he's talking about the, the, the gift that comes to us in those moments of grief, right? The, the way that God can redeem those moments of grief if we're willing to lean into them and to process them well. He says, by inviting God, and you'll see this on your screen, you'll see his name as well. So if you want to write it down and, and, and you know, look up any of his books, um, they're fantastic. It says, by inviting God into our difficulties, we ground life, even at sad moments, in joy and hope. When we stop grasping our lives, we can finally be given more than we could ever grab for ourselves, 
and we learn the, deep, the way to a deeper love for others. I want to close on, on this idea of learning a way of de- for deeper love, a deeper love for others. Um, when I've experienced grief in my own life, I don't know about you, but when I've experienced grief in my own life, there's a part of me that instinctively sort of retracts from people, right? Because losing someone that you love is hard. That is hard. And so sort of the human gut reaction is to then say, well, that really hurt, and I don't want to go through that a whole lot more, and so I'm going to pull back from other people because I don't want to lose a whole lot of people that I love, and that's what happens in this life, unfortunately, is over time we lose people. And Henry Nouwen has a grace-filled word where he reminds me, and I hope that he reminds all of us, um, that it's through grief that we're able to understand the cost of love. We have a staff member here called Suzanne Fuquay, who you guys probably don't even know, but she's a backbone of the staff and of this church. And when she sits in to help us plan uh, memorial services and funerals, uh, she'll remind the couple, I mean, every time, she'll remind the family that's there, every time she'll say, you know, I love this quote from Queen Elizabeth. She said that grief is the price we pay for having loved. And, uh, and it's this simple word, and like all the things that I, as the pastor, have said that whole, all of a sudden that all flies out the window. The couple's like, or the family's like, wow, that is what we needed to hear. I'm like, Suzanne, can you just pastor? You know, I don't know what I'm doing here. You've got this. Um, I love that quote, and I love what Henry Nouwen says because it reminds me that in those moments of grief, even though our human nature may feel like pulling back, you know, I look at my, the people that I've loved and lost, and I think to myself, would I have rather lived my life without them? Of course not. Of course not. In fact, I wish I could have lived two lives with them. I wish I could have lived uh, infinite lives with them. I wish they could have been in my life even more. And so then for my response to be to pull back would be the exact wrong thing for me to do, even though it feels right in that moment. I think Henry Henry Nowen challenges me. He he asked me to be bold in, in opening up my heart to be broken time and time again to experience grief after grief after grief because that means I also get to experience joy after joy and love after love. And this is a life that we were meant to feel love in a deep and profound way. And guess what? When you love someone in a deep and profound way, that means that you might grieve them at some point too. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And so if you're someone who walked in today and you've experienced grief recently and it's made you pull back because you honestly don't want to get hurt again, I hope you'll reach out. But more than that, I hope that you'll hear the words of Henry Nowen. And that you'll invite God into those difficult places and spaces. That you'll invite Christ into those difficult places and spaces. Because God is a God who understands grief more than anybody else in this world. God looked down upon a world and was so grieved by the, the sin and the, and the rebelliousness and the, the evil and the death that was around us. And what did God do? Did God pull back? God came down in the person of Jesus Christ. God got closer than he ever was before. That was God's response to grief. To get closer than he ever was before. To say, my love is stronger than my grief. My love is stronger than my grief. And so I hope that we can walk out of this room today not saying, golly, what a depressing time in church. We talked about grief all day. I hope we can walk out knowing that grief is a real part of life and we have to address it. And yeah, there are parts of life that make us feel deeply sad. And that's okay. In fact, that's what makes us the children of God. But it's those same parts of life that remind us why love is worth it in the first place. 
and why we need to open our hearts to every single person that God puts on our path. And we'll grieve along the way, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And we will look more and more like God every single time. Let's pray. Reagan, will you pray for us? God, we thank you for the way that you meet us. That however we're feeling, whether it's anger or sadness or deep lamenting, that it's never too much for you. In fact, that you're right there with us often. We pray that we would not be people afraid of our grief that we would dive into it and we'd also ask people to walk alongside of us because it often is too much for us to bear on our own. Allow us to be people um, that reach out to our friends and to our family that need support, that need love, that need help, that maybe just need something done around their house because their grief is too much for them. We want to to love one another. We want to love you. We never want to stop doing either of those, even when our hearts break. So would you remind us um, that love is worth it. Love is always worth it. For those in this room that are really needing comfort, I'd ask that you would be with them, that you would hold them close, that you would whisper tenderly to them that you are there. And may they not feel rushed or pushed into healing or smiling and being okay, but that they could just be. And may we as a community wrap our arms around them. We give this to you, Lord. Thank you for never leaving us. It's your name, amen. Amen.